Now, Nebuchadnezzar in our story, he needed to learn that Jesus Christ is the true master, the true master of life. And I want to suggest to you and I that we do the same thing. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as our true master. Take your Bible, would you please, and open to the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter number 4. Daniel, chapter number 4. When you were a kid, did you ever play a game where you pretended you were an animal? Have you ever done that? I've done that. How many have done that when you were kids? A number of us have. Yeah. And maybe you pretended you were a dog or a bird or a horse, or something like that. And it's just all of a game, a fun game. Back in the 1960s, five British teenage boys got together, and they were going to form a rhythm and blues rock band. And so they got together, and they started wailing away on guitars and drums, and started doing a lot of screaming and wild behavior. And people said that they acted like animals. And so the name stuck. And that's what they called themselves, the animals. Has anyone ever heard of that group, the animals? About four, five, six of us, okay. (laughs) In 2009, the British TV company called the BBC, they did a little TV program entitled, My Life as an Animal. My Life as an Animal. And what they did was they invited people to come and live on a farm for two or three days and experience life as an animal. And they, they told the people dress up in old clothes and they actually had them sleeping with the pigs and with the cows and learning how to oink and imitate you know, the sounds of the animals in order to better understand the animals. Well, it's an interesting idea, but it soon lost interest and it only lasted two or maybe three episodes and then it was done. It was finished with. Now, all that, you know, is just TV. But did you know that there are actually people in the world today who believe they are animals? Did you know that? I'm I'm not talking about people in insane asylums. I'm talking about maybe it's someone you work with. You never know. These people identify as Therians, T-H-E-R-I-A-N, Therians. What's a Therian? A Therian is a Greek word. It means a wild beast or an animal. And they identify. Perhaps they say, well, in my former life, I was, you know, a cow or, a, or something. And now here I am. And really, I'm a, I'm a cow, but, you know, I'm in a human body. I know that may sound a little odd or strange, but I'm telling you the truth. And these people will get together out in the forest and they'll actually go on a run together. They'll run like a pack of animals, uh, celebrating who they are. Some of these Therians so closely identify with the animal that they have in mind that they can actually feel that they have a tail or they actually feel that they have claws. That's how much they mentally identify with the animal. Isn't that interesting? Um, These people describe themselves as animals trapped 
in human bodies. That's something to think about. Therianism is not a new phenomenon. It's been around for a long time. In fact, history shows people have been doing this sort of thing for thousands of years. Some people think that the old Vikings were really Therians because they dress up in animal skins and they wear horns on their head. And so they thought they've, they must be Therians. Well, today we're going to look at a man who went all out and for seven years he lived like an animal. And then what did he learn from that experience? So today we're going to speak on the subject, my life as an animal. Let's bow our heads for prayer first and ask the Lord to teach us. Our Heavenly Father, you're so good to us, kind and, and, and gentle. And thank you for all of your many wonderful gifts. We pray that every one of us here would get to know you better. Maybe there's someone here today who does not yet know you as personal Lord and Savior. And to them, God is just a word, just something maybe that's far off that isn't really part of their lives. Help them to see that you're a very personal God and that you really do want to have a close, intimate relationship, a friendship, a fellowship with each and every one. Please increase our faith today, our love for you. Please increase our thankfulness for all of your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, we ask that. Amen. I did a little study in psychiatry, and I found that there's something called clinical lycanthropy. Clinical lycanthropy. Now, it's a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person can or has transformed themselves into a non-human animal. Some people who take mind-altering drugs like LSD, they also can think that they're animals. Now, in our story today with King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't know for sure what it was that God did to King Nebuchadnezzar, but all of a sudden, this incredibly smart, powerful man lost his mind and started acting like an animal. And it lasted for seven long years. Now, I'd like you just to imagine with me just for a moment, if somehow God changed you into an animal. Now you can pick whatever animal you want. Maybe a nice cat or a dog or a guinea pig, or maybe someone would want to be a, a lizard or a serpent or a fish or a bird. You pick, it doesn't matter. But supposing that God turned you mentally and physically into that animal just for two days, not for seven years, just two days. And so now think of this. You would reason, you would think and reason like that animal. You would play like the animal. You would hunt like the animal. You would sleep like that animal. You would howl. You would growl. You would bite. You would chew. You would crawl and you would claw just like that animal. And you'd eat things that that animal would eat. That alone is a bit disgusting. But now after two days of being the animal, God changes you back. And he gives you back your body and your mind and so on. But wow, you've just had this experience. Now your friends and family for two days have been watching you, you know, crawl around or swim or whatever it is you did. For those two days, they've been watching you. Now you're back to normal. Don't you think they're going to have a few questions to ask you? 
Don't you think they're going to say, well, tell us what was it all about? What was it like? What an experience if you had two days, even one day, as an animal. Oh, you could write a book, couldn't you? I dare say that you'd be invited on to these talk radio shows and the YouTuber influencers would all want to interview you and you'd be a sensation, a famous person overnight. Well, here in Daniel chapter 4, we have this incredibly famous man already. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And he was literally the king of the whole world. He had gained the whole world. There was no one as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar in his day. He had it all. We think that the uh, multi-billionaires of today have got it made. They have nothing on Nebuchadnezzar. He would be like, you know, the, the gazillionaire, more than a trillionaire, more than a billionaire. He had it all. He had so much power that, you know, by pointing his finger, he, he could sentence anyone to death. He had that kind of power. He owned it all, and anything he didn't have, he could get. He was that kind of man. And he was a smart guy too, a military genius. Historical records show that he was an incredibly smart man. But Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn something. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn that God is sovereign. God is in control. You know, there's people today who don't even know that. That God is in control. We can't do just anything we want to do. Number one, there are laws, rules, policemen. There's, you know, a framework in society. We can't just do whatever we want. Can you imagine if anyone could just do whatever they want? You'd be dead before morning. They'd shoot you. Someone's got to hate you. They'd find a gun or a bow and arrow or they'd push you off a building, whatever. If people could just do whatever they want, there'd be mayhem looting, robbing, bombs, everything you can think of. Aren't you glad that we've got a, a framework in place? It may not be perfect, but we've got a system of government in place. And we've got a system of, of police in place. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a country. No one would want to live in Canada, that's for sure. <laughs> Even with what we've got, some people don't want to live in Canada, I suppose. But Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn a lesson, a very important lesson. Now, if all this was happening today, if Nebuchadnezzar was alive today, we might say he needed to learn that Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. He is in control. By the way, did you know that one day everyone is going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord? Did you know that? That's truth. Everyone is going to acknowledge it. Everyone will verbally confess that Jesus is Lord. We who love him will do it gladly. But those who hate him will do it sadly. The Bible promises this is going to happen. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, At the name of Jesus, now that one day it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And listen, that includes Satan himself. Satan will have to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. Oh, that's going to be delightful to watch, isn't it? It's going to be a wonderful day. King Nebuchadnezzar was 
at one time the most powerful man in all of the world, military genius, had everything. It sounds sort of like some people today. They're sitting on top of the world with all the money and influence that anyone could ever want. But Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. And this problem brought about his downfall. And the problem was pride. Pride. Again, it sounds like today a lot of people have a problem with pride. You know, even just as I said there a moment ago, I said uh, that at one day it's going to happen at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's possible that someone here today, in their mind, in their hearts, it's not my knee. I'm never going to bow. I'm never going to confess with my tongue that Jesus is Lord. My friend, you are in for a rude awakening because it will happen. It will happen. God says it'll happen. Now, before God judged Nebuchadnezzar, he gave him a chance. He gave him a scary dream. Have you ever had a scary dream? I had a dream last night that, um, I won't tell you who, but someone we all know and love had an engine out of a car. And the engine was the size of this pulpit. I mean, it was oversized. And he was wheeling it on a cart toward me, wanting to put it back in the car he got it from. And it was coming right toward me, and I had to kind of duck to get out of the way, but he was lowering it right over top of me, and I was calling, please, you know, I'm under here. And oh, oh, and then he pulled it back. That was my dream that I had before I woke up this morning. Isn't that crazy? Aren't you glad they're just dreams? Hmm? And uh, yeah, we don't put a whole lot of stock in dreams. Why do we have that? Now, some people do, you know. They'll, they'll live and die according to what they think the dream means. But that, anyhow, that's another story. But before God judged Nebuchadnezzar, he gave him a scary dream. And then he brought in Daniel, the man of God, to interpret that dream and to warn him that God was going to judge him unless he changed his way. Now in chapter 4, I want you to look at, please, verse 27. This was the counsel that Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Follow along as I read. Daniel says, Wherefore, O king... Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. He did not humble himself. The judgment didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the next week. In fact, it took just about a year. But at then, one point, verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Again, it sounds like people today very boastful of what they've done. See that car? I bought that car. No one did it for me. I did it myself. See that house? They said I couldn't buy a house. But I went to the bank and I showed them you know, that I was worthy and they, they bowed and loaned me the money and man, now I own that house. Doesn't that sound like a Nebuchadnezzar syndrome? Because this is the problem that brought about the judgment in his life. And so God brought judgment in Nebuchadnezzar's life and 
caused him to spend the next seven years of his life living like an animal, a beast of the forest. Seven years is a decent amount of time, isn't it? You know, the older we get, seven years isn't all that long, but it's still a chunk of change, I'm telling you, in anyone's, you know, accounting book. That, that's a lot of time, seven years. Uh, there is coming upon planet Earth a period called the Tribulation. Hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. The book of Revelation describes it. The books of, of, um, of 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talk about the rapture before the tribulation. And this tribulation is going to last, does anybody know how long? Seven years. Seven years. And it's not going to be pretty. In fact, things are going to get so bad that these are the good old days. What? You mean with a, a house worth, you can't buy a house around here without a million dollars. You can't even get a loan from the bank unless you're making $280,000 a year. And the price of gas, have you seen that? And the price of food and the availability of some things are just not available? Yeah, these are the good old days. In the tribulation, that's what people will be saying about, you know, 2024. The good old days. Oh, if only we could go back to 2024. Man, we had it made, but now houses cost $10 million. You know, gas cost, you know, $10, $15 a gallon or something insane. Now, I'm just guessing at that. Maybe it's going to be more or less. I don't know. But God judged this famous, amazing, brilliant, powerful, wealthy man. God judged him for seven years. I'll tell you something that happened in the New Testament. Early in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he ran into a guy who was full of himself, full of pride and what he could do. And he did have some accomplishments. And he was a well-known man. But this man in pride, he opposed God, which is what prideful men tend to do. They oppose God. The man's name was Elymas. He was a sorcerer. He was a, a warlock, a witch. He was a conjurer. And he did his best to turn people away from Jesus Christ. That very thing is happening today in nations around the world and even here in Canada. People are trying to turn other people away from Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul looked at him and said these words, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Here's a guy that went blind, totally blind for a period of time. I don't know how long, maybe it was a couple of months, maybe it was a year. But who wants to go blind? I certainly don't. I enjoy my vision, don't you? I wouldn't even want to lose one of my eyeballs, to be honest with you. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be humbled. This guy, Elymas the sorcerer, he needed to learn a lesson that God is in control. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn this same uh, message uh, and so God took away his brilliant mind and he began to act like a beast of the field for seven long years he endured this humiliation and then at the end of it then God gave him back a sane rational mind now this may surprise you but every one of us here today that has a sane rational mind 
I mean, we got up in the morning. We had the good sense, you know, to brush our hair, brush our teeth, get ourselves clothed, come into this house of worship. A sane, rational mind. You have it because God has allowed you to have it. At any moment, God could take it from you or from me. At any moment, realize that. If you have a sane, rational mind, praise the Lord. There's something to be thankful for. But God can take away your rational, reasoning, sound, sane mind. He can take that away and you can just become a babbling fool. By the way, some people have beat God to the punch and they're already a babbling fool without God having to do any kind of judgment in their lives. They make some some crazy, crazy decisions in life. Almost as if they're animals. hmm? And so now after seven years of humiliation as an animal, God gives Nebuchadnezzar back his mind. So now what happens? All of a sudden, he looks up. All of a sudden, he's not... He's realizing he's on his knees and his hands. Now he stands back up. Maybe he's a little bit wobbly on his feet. He he looks around. He looks at his hands. His nails have grown over. Some people, have you seen pictures of this on the internet? People who've never cut their nails. Have you seen pictures? And they grow long and they curl. That's what happened to him. Maybe someone came to him and said, Oh, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, let me cut those nails. And maybe he bit them. Get away from you know, sort of thing. And he growled and spit and bit, ran away or scampered away or something, whatever he did. But his nails were all like claws and he's looking at them. And then hanging down from his head is this long matted hair. And he's feeling this. And maybe he had to spit some dirt out of his mouth because maybe he'd just been trying to eat something off the ground. And he looks down and he's got no clothes on. Maybe he's got to run and find some clothes now, but now he's got his sane, rational mind back. And finally, after he gets himself back to normal, finally he sits down and he writes about his life as an animal. Now, some people that have gone through some pretty horrible things in life, maybe they've lived miserable, decrepit, sinful lives, and then they publish a book about their life. They'll always tell about the horrible things that they've done. They'll always talk about the horrible things that they endured in life. But I want you to notice here in Daniel chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar wrote, he doesn't say anything about his long hair. He doesn't say anything about his long claw-like nails. He doesn't talk about his life outdoors. Instead, he writes about God and God's goodness. That's what he writes about. Now, I want you to see that in verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and Mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Pause for a moment. What had Nebuchadnezzar just boasted about before he got hit with animalitis here? He just boasted about His kingdom and His greatness, right? Bang! Judgment hits. 
Now what's the first thing he writes about? God and God's dominion and God's kingdom and being everlasting. Verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That includes him, the greatest, the most powerful man. He's nothing. And he doeth, he, God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. No one can stop God from doing what he wants to do or say unto him, what doest thou? (laughs) You got to love this. At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and, my, and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. Watch, the, underline this in your Bible, please. If you have your Bible with you, underline these words. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Be careful about pride. I'll tell you from my own life, God has humbled me on more than one occasion because of my pride. And I went and said things, I went and did things without thinking, without praying, without consulting, only to realize, man, that was wrong, and I got humbled. I got humbled. But isn't this amazing? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar writes about God and his goodness. Again, I say that some people who were saved from a horrible life of alcohol and drugs and crime, they'll write a book, they'll write about their life as an animal almost, if I can use that word now. In the books they write, they'll tell about all the morbid details of their creepy lives. But Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't go into any such detail. Instead, he takes pen and paper and he writes of God's goodness. Why? Why does he do that? Because now he has wisdom. He's not going to glory in his seven years as an animal. He's going to glory in the goodness of God. And there is a big difference. Maybe you're here today and you've had some experiences in life, maybe some horrendous things, maybe you've held on by your fingernails out of the door of a plane at 10,000 feet. Well, wow. But I'll tell you something even more wow. The goodness of God that you didn't fall. I'll tell you I went through war, bullets were whizzing past my head. Wow. But I'll tell you something even more wow. The bullets, bullets didn't hit you in the head. You get the idea? That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Wow, I lived seven years as an animal, but even a bigger wow, the goodness of God to bring me out of it and establish me back in my kingdom. Here was a humbled man, a man who could see that everything he had was a gift from Almighty God, including his sane, wonderful, genius, brilliant, rational mind. You know, some people have a high IQ. You know that, right? Some people have a low IQ. You know that too, right? And then these people, and then maybe they're young too, like seven-year-olds, right? They got a high IQ. There's one that was in the news recently, a little boy, and he had a high IQ, a high IQ like Einstein. And so they led him into this Mensa school. You know, that's the school where the, the real high IQs go. Well, if you have got a high IQ 
Who gave it to you? Did you give it to yourself? Did you take a pill? Did you get down on the floor and do brain exercises and somehow get this high IQ? No. If you have a high IQ, you got it from God. Some people have a lot of money. How'd that happen? God allowed it. By the way, money is not the be-all and end-all. A lot of people are ruined by their money. A lot of people are doing good until they come into money. And then they get divorces, and then they go to whorehouses, and then they go down to the pubs and get drunk or get involved with drugs and things. You ought to do a little study, an internet study, on people who won the lotto. That'll turn you off the lotto. Did you know that a lot of people who won the lotto wish they never had? It destroyed their lives. Oh, how can the money destroy me? Listen, the devil has ways. Every weirdo in town will be after you for your money. You'll have relatives you never even realized you had. And they'll all be knocking on your door, wanting one thing, your money. Hmm. Worldly people have no wisdom of God. That's why they do worldly things. They don't understand what's really important in life. Many people just think, well, make the money. Many people think, just get the good job, the corner office. Many people, listen to this, many people think, if I can just get married and have kids. There's nothing wrong with money or the good job or marriage or kids or a house or boat or anything. nothing wrong with those at all. But those are minuscule things. Those are not where life is at. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he has. You may have all the toys and still die and go to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. What good has it done you? Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you realize how many broken families there are because of fame and money? Some people, they get a hold of fame. They're famous now overnight. And they got lots of money. And then all of a sudden, their family, their beautiful family, is destroyed. Their children go crazy. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? You know, it's quite likely that at this point, verse 37, it's quite likely that this is evidence of salvation. Salvation, when a man or woman realizes they are separated from God and they need a Savior, they need help, and they turn to God and God says, I have the answer for you. His name is Jesus. God put inside of Jesus eternal life. He put inside of Jesus sins forgiven. He put inside of Jesus that magical spark that connects you with God. And then the offer is simple. Whosoever hath the Son, the Son of God, that's Jesus, hath life. Whosoever hath not the Son of God, hath not life. You either have him or you don't. You weren't born with him. You need to receive him. It's quite likely that this is where Nebuchadnezzar got what we would say he got saved. That's what it looks like. Prior to this point in his life, even though he was the wealthiest and most powerful man in the world, he was no better than a horse or a mule. God proved it in his life, didn't he? If you're here today without Jesus Christ, 
You might have some money. You might have some influence. You might have some health. But I tell you, you got nothing. You've got nothing, my friend. Nothing if you don't have Jesus. He is the answer. In Psalm 32, verse 9, it says, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. That describes unsaved people. They have no understanding of the real issues of life. And all they think of in life is money or sex or fame or, or health or beauty or toys. That's all they think that life is. They've got no vision past the end of their nose, let alone what's laying beyond the grave. Sometimes teenagers and young adults will live their lives like what we might call animals. They just don't understand what really is happening in life. They don't have any idea what they're going through and they have no idea how to fix the problem. Why? Why? Because they lack the wisdom that can only come from God. So that they sometimes will say or do things and their parents will look at them and shake their head and say, whatever possessed you to do that? What were you thinking? That's life as an animal. I'll tell you a story. The Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 15 told about a a young guy. We know him as the prodigal son. You know who I'm talking about? The prodigal son. And this this young guy had had it made, really. He grew up in a loving family. His father loved him. His father was well off. They had servants. They had land. This young guy got it into his head. He's going to blow this popsicle stand. He's going to go and live in Sin City and live it up. He just had this in his head. And so he ends up running away from home with a backpack full of money. He ran down to Sin City. And there he lived and spent money like there was no tomorrow. And because he was living like an animal, so to speak, he lost all of his money. And then he actually ended up living with the animals, didn't he? With the pigs. That's not so good for a young Jewish boy, is it? But finally, he came to himself. And I think that's the point where God gave him the wisdom. Where he finally stopped and says, what am I doing? You know, I had one of those moments in life when I was a teenager. And I stopped and I said, what is going on? I get up in the morning I try and make a few bucks. I try and have a few laughs. I go to bed at night. Then I get up in the morning and I try and make a few bucks and have a few laughs and I go to bed. And I get up in the morning and do it all over again and go to bed. And I get up in the morning all over and I do it. What? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What's life all about? It's got to be more than this. And that's what really got me thinking. Here this young guy came to himself and he realized he'd blown it. He needed to go back to his father and make things right. Many Christians, after they come to know Christ as Savior, they've received Christ as salvation, they talk about their previous life, their former life as an unsaved man or an unsaved woman. And they use terms like dark and cloudy and blind and fearful and unknown. Almost like the life of an animal, isn't it? But listen to me carefully. 
Sadly, there are some Christians that continue to live a little wee bit like animals. They seem void of the wisdom that only God can give. They seem to grope in life. They make repetitive mistakes. They hurt. They get hurt. And they sit back and wonder, where am I going wrong? It's almost the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome here, isn't it? I mean, life as an animal. Animals can behave themselves in a most uncivilized manner. Animals will grunt and push their way through life, hurting and getting hurt. They often display their anger and they don't care who gets hurt. We have an expression in English. We say they're acting like a bull, a B-U-L-L, a bull in a china shop. Great, big, 2,000-pound bull, and every way the bull turns, smash, crash. It knocks over shelves of precious, expensive china. Smashed to the ground it goes. They're a bull in a china shop. That's how some people live their lives. I want to tell you something about anger. Anger is not your friend. There's a story about a young boy who got angry a lot. He would be angry about everything. And so his father tried to help him and teach him an important lesson. And so the father handed him a hammer. The boy says, what's this for? You're going to need it, said his dad, and gave him a bag of nails. What are these for? Well, son, every time you lose your temper, I want you to take a nail and a hammer and go out behind the house and I want you to nail that nail, hammer that nail into the fence. Every time I lose my anger, every time you lose your anger, I want you to do that. Well, that day, the boy nailed 30 nails into that fence. He lost his temper that that much. And this went on day after day. But although it cost the father a lot of money in nails, the number of nails he started using was less and less. And so, you know, each day it would average 10 times, 10 nails. Then it got down to five nails. Then it got down to one nail a day. And then it would skip a day. He'd have some days where he wouldn't lose his temper at all. Finally, the day came when he said to his father, Dad, I haven't nailed a nail into that fence for so long now. I think I've got a, a victory over my anger. And his father says, well done, son. Now I have a new job for you. You're going to need the other side of the hammer. Every day that you don't lose your temper, I want you to pull a nail out of the fence. And so he did. Each day that he didn't lose his temper, he pulled a nail out of the fence. Well, it took a long time. But finally, he had this big pile of nails. And he says, Dad, I've pulled out the last nail. And his father said to him, Amazing. You're an amazing son. You've learned an amazing lesson. But I want to show you something. And the two of them walked over to the fence and he pointed to one of the holes where the nail came out. You see that hole? This fence is scarred. That hole's not going away. Every nail you've driven in and pulled out has left a hole. Every time you lose your temper at someone, you leave a hole in their heart. That might never get fixed. Of course, the moral of the story is very simple. You can stick a knife into a man and pull it out, 
And it doesn't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry. There's still a hole left in the guy. Make sense? And that's what anger does. Anger is not your friend. It's sad, isn't it? When we get angry at the people who love us the most. Have you ever been angry at your mother or your father? Have you ever been angry at your son or your daughter? Have you ever been angry at your wife or your husband? Yeah, it's like driving in a nail. And yeah, you can pull it out, but there's still a little hole, isn't there? And that's where we need God. Because the truth is, God can fix holes. We can't. Without God, there'll always be a little hole there. If you're here today and you've got holes in your heart and your soul and your spirit and your brain, because of anger people have shown toward you, I have good news, God can heal those holes. If you're the kind that likes to nail nails you know, into people's heads and hearts, you just speak your mind, you don't care who gets hurt, you're that type. I have good news, God can help you with that problem because that's a devilish problem. But Jesus never gave you that. Satan equipped you with that. The good news is that God can heal you from that. You know, a week from now, we've got an evangelist coming, Dan Knickerbocker. And I challenge you to come and sit under his ministry for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you see what God will do for you. You see how God will change you and heal what's on the inside. You'll see what God will show you. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in our story, he needed to learn that Jesus Christ is the true master, the true master of life. And I want to suggest to you and I that we do the same thing. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as our true master. We submit to him, Lord, what would you have me to do? You could be here today, and a lot of what I've said may not make a lot of sense to you. It seems like, oh, I hear he's speaking English, but I'm not understanding. My friend, it's because it feels like darkness. If there was light, you'd know what I'm talking about. Because these are not complicated things. If we did a show of hands, I'll bet you that most hands would be up. Oh, I understand. I understand what the pastor is saying. To live your life in darkness is a sad way to live. I know, I lived my life in darkness for the first 18 years of my life. Almost 19 years. I lived in darkness. Bumping into things, making mistakes, saying things that I regretted afterwards. Not knowing God as my one and only personal Savior. Back in 1875, before the days of electric light bulbs and electricity, they lit their homes with candles and with Oil, that's how they lit their homes, sometimes with gas as well. There's a true story that happened to the Christian hymn writer named Philip Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. He was in his home one night in the summer of 1875, holding a candle and walking carefully down the hallway of his home toward his bedroom, when all of a sudden the idea of a new song 
because he was a hymn writer. The new song came to his, his mind, he thought. It's brilliant. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so he got this great idea in his head and he sat down with a pen or a quill, you know, dip it in the inkwell and started writing on the paper a hymn that's in our hymn books today. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. And I learned that back in 1975. That was a hundred years, in fact, after this hymn was written. 1975 is when I learned, I need to come to the light. I need to come to Jesus. And I did. Say, how'd you do it? I came to Jesus in prayer. What'd you say? I told him, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I've shipwrecked my life with sin. I didn't go into all of the details because I knew he knew of all of the creepy things I had done. And I asked him to forgive me my sins. And right then and there, on April the 6th, 1975, I asked him to come into my heart, to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Say, what happened? He did just that. It doesn't take long for a loving Savior and an anxious sinner to get together. And I opened the door of my heart and he came in and he's never left me. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to be born again part of God's family, to have Jesus in your heart and to know for sure that if anything ever happened to you, you'd be in heaven. That's wonderful to know. Most of you know that I'm flying airplanes now these days, part-time. And when I'm up 2,000 feet, the ground looks far, far away. If you're ever afraid you crash, Oh, of course, everyone thinks that. But I know that if it ever did happen, I don't think it will, but if it ever did happen, I'd open my eyes in the presence of Jesus. Just like that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The light of the world is Jesus. Why don't we bow our heads for prayer? Close our eyes together, shall we? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.